Hey, it's your boy Chris, Players Pick Podcast. Here to shout out my sponsor, Road Roaster Coffee. Road Roaster Coffee makes an amazing array of light, medium, and dark roasts. My favorite is this kick-ass right here. You can check out roadroastercoffee.com and use Players Pick as your coupon code for 20% off your very first order. Enjoy the pod. Players Pick Podcast. Picks and Perspectives with Chris Johnson. at some point but let's just see because it's just not yeah anyway how are you man (laughs) oh man um so good to be here with you right now yeah nice to be with you uh like uh yeah it's uh you know you're one of my favorite people and we always end up uh finding each other one way or another having a phone call and and catching up and and it's nice to have you back uh you know on the podcast man yeah yeah and it's nice to kind of have a you know it's like we haven't talked on the phone in a while so we're having like a real proper like you know Mm. in real time you know it's um it's kind of the best way to do it right like unrehearsed you know absolutely absolutely so where are you right now are you up in uh I'm in Chico. Yeah. I'm in, uh, the, I, I moved to a new, a new house. Um, I was almost, uh, almost two years at the, at the first place that I moved to and it was great. Uh, but they sold the house and, um, I got all, I got into a little bit of a grief thing around that. Cause I really loved that house. And I was like, oh. yeah, I hate it when like the carpets pulled out from underneath me, but I was like, it just kept saying, man, this is your opportunity to practice. This is just, this is yeah. It's just another thing, and you know, yeah. you know how to navigate it, and yeah, um, yeah just because I I felt like that house had the first time I had a lot of space for all my projects. Mm. You know, I'm like, oh man, the yoga stuff's over there, the altars here, nice, comfortable, like living area, bedroom, studio is here, and a guest bedroom. I love having a. It's like my first time really having a guest bedroom. Yeah. So I was like, anybody come stay with me, baby. I got you. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, guest bedrooms is a nice thing to have for sure. But what yeah. about you? Are you, are you in the apartment there in LA or what, what, what has shifted for you? So I, I've been nomadic for nine months, man. You know, I am um, a friend of mine who I've kind of collaborated with on some, on some projects. She lives in Berlin she works for um, Danny Elfman. She just like was at my place nine months ago finishing. She's also just finished her MFA at UCLA. Um, and uh, I just went to her graduation thing. And she just one day was just like, would you be interested in like, you know, could I stay here? Like, cause I had talked about wanting to kind of hit the road and do some stuff after finishing the record. And I th- was like, you know, actually, there's not a lot of people I would let stay in my home, but you're, you know, she's one of them. She's just really reliable and trustworthy and just feels like a safe, respectful person of space, you know, and um, like a real sister to me. And um, so she's been there for nine months and um, I've literally been floating Um since I finished the record, I basically 
you know, between 2020 and the, and finishing the record was just really took everything out of me. And I just needed to kind of fill the well again. And my way of doing that was either go on a long-term meditation retreat or just become a nomad. And so it's been this nomadic thing, which is really interesting because I just roll with wherever I need to be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not no plan, no. And so it's been like, many months in and out of Miami where my folks are and I have a lot of friends there. So I, I'll go and stay with friends and do things down there. I'm actually headed there at the end of this month on the 30th to spend the month of July there. Um, cause I'm doing a remix of focus with Warren Riker for the oh. 30th anniversary, which is next year. Wow. So, yeah. We're like planting all the seeds for the, for the 30th uh situation and one of them is is remixing the record over there at uh at the gibbs studio at barry gibbs studio which warren built so it's like this mm. really killer fucking space and so i'm psyched about that um and uh and then right now i'm at my friend dave's he's a brother who's so sweet and basically you know i have a room and his place upstairs with my own bathroom and mm. um and which is in hollywood you know not far from from the hood that we were in just a little further north more deeper into the city mm. but um yeah so i kind of have this place and i've always had this as a little spot because i have in his garage like a lab where i do organ the organite stuff and and work on these things and stuff so it's like i have a workspace here already um, so it's kind of been great to be here again and be with him. Um, and, uh, and he's like another solitary walker kind of, you know, definitely a loner in a sense. So he, we know how to be alone together, you know, and mm -hmm. I mean, be in the mm -hmm. same space and do our thing and then, you know, come together. But it's a lot of just like, just doing our thing and I'll just see him, you know, and it's big enough. It's three stories and there's like, you know, the, the rooms are upstairs and then there's this living room space. And then a, downstairs is like a garage with a whole setup, you know, like, so, um, but yeah, man, just um, really, you know, I was in Jamaica for three weeks. I was invited there from the psilocybin group out of LA that's doing mm. all this research, you know, for therapeutic uses of, of psilocybin. And um, and the reason why a lot of these groups have been going to Jamaica is because it's technically not legal, but they don't enforce anything there. So there it's like mushrooms are everywhere. OK. And um, yeah, it's really kind of been a bit of, yeah, like Miami, you know, bouncing around California, a lot of San Diego stuff because my brother's there and just kind of hanging with with people down there and then a little bit of L.A. and. I might do some NorCal adventures soon. I'd like to be there for the summer, actually. <laughs> you know, Please. I'm thinking about a little Shasta moment, man. I'd like to kind of just spend some time in Shasta. and Yeah. And um, you have a place to stay right here on the way up. I'm, oh, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm on your way to Shasta, dude. So Cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, and thinking about more retreats and – like my priority, you know, right now is, is my inner work, you know, the spiritual path. It's like, I'm promoting stuff. I'm obviously have a record on, you know, on the heels of a record that's come out. And, but because I'm not actively doing traditional promotional things like touring, 
I have to think outside the box, you know, and, um, and one of them is to make this interesting film, but that's, that's kind of unfolding as it needs to. I'm kind of just showing up for the process. And so it's just been a really moment to moment thing of just being, do you know what I mean? Like just mm -hmm. taking care of my mind and, and actually being trying to be of service more and show up for people. I'm realizing that's kind of like what feels the most purposeful these days is just to help others, you know, and um, just really show up for others. And, and being in L.A., as you know, you split like right when it all went down. But mm -hmm. you see so much suffering here. I mean, it is just next level, dude. And it's. I'm very careful to not numb myself to what I'm witnessing on a daily basis, which is tremendous suffering. I mean, hits you hard, you know? And so I, I pay attention and I feel, I feel what's going on. And, um, it's, it's a real opportunity to work on your mind and your heart because you're bearing witness to things that aren't, they don't feel exciting to me. It's like, I know for someone in their mid twenties coming to LA, it's exciting. The city, the energy tents everywhere, people taking shits on the corner. Fucking, I mean, it's like the unhoused situation is out of control in, in LA, especially. I don't know. I mean, I know. Sure is. I think it is up in maybe Berkeley or something too. Right. But it's um, all up through Northern California and it's, and it's hitting my town here in Chico. It's been, an issue because of all the fires, especially the fires have displaced thousands okay. of people. So. Yeah, man. So it's, yeah. I, so I'm like, you know, I treat it as like a, a battleground, like, you know, the Krishna battleground of working with your mind, you know, and I always admired these, these monks in that were in monasteries. And for example, in Manhattan in the seventies or whatever, when it was rough in parts of New York and they're like, doing their meditation practice, it's like, it's really easy to access stable and peaceful states of mind when you're hidden in the mountains with this beautiful environments. And it's, it's helpful to be in those places too. But there is something to be said about being right in the middle of the fire, you know, and still trying to maintain some degree of openness and, and attunement, you know, to mm. your, your, your surroundings. And, so I'm balancing it between the, the, the beautiful, you know, spaces like Jamaica, which blew my mind. I bet. I mean, literally it was, and, and figuratively, but it was one of those places that like, I had never been there in the Caribbean. It's just those waters, dude, are fucking. Mm. And I think it's cause they have these, these, they're called the blue mountains. And so the blue mountains have these rivers that flow into the lagoons and all the little beaches so the waters are like sapphire crystal. I mean, Whoa. it's just like the clearest, most beautiful water ever. And like, for example, the, the famous Blue Lagoon. I don't know if you remember, you know, yeah. that movie with Brooke Shields. But that's like that lagoon is like this trippy thing that's like the surface is like fresh water. So it's like drinkable fucking Evian shit. It's like Fiji mm. water, but underneath is the salt. So it's this warm base and then this salty, I mean, this fresh top. And it's cause of the, the water that comes in from the, from the mountains that mixes with the, with the Caribbean sea. And it's, wow. 
it feels so magical, you know, the sounds of the birds and it's a rainforest, you know, Jamaica's got the whole northeastern end of, of the of the island is all rainforest. So it's got that Costa Rica vibe where it's like jungle, but meets love the that. Sea. Yeah. Yeah. That's my vibe. Yeah. And it's like, Oh man, I could spend more time here. I really, mm. yeah. Especially when you get out of the tourist spots, you know what I mean? Cause there's, there's the touristy places like the grill and, and Montego Bay. When you go into the more rural areas, and just get with the locals in these quiet villages. It's like, wow, this is this is a special place, man. This, mm. There's a vibe there, you know. So this was this was a trip for to be a part of some sort of like clinical trial, or was this more of like a, a healing wellness uh, psilocybin yeah. thing? How, how yeah, describe a little a, bit about what is that? It's that a company actually out of LA that. Um, they're, they're called SOS, Sense of Self Institute, and they have been doing, I think they started about a year ago. It's a couple people that are the main, it's like a collective actually, but there's a couple of people that really started it. And, um, you know, they've just been deep in the model of medicine for therapeutic purposes. And, you know, and I, and I, what's interesting about their thing was that they, they've been doing retreats and i think they've had some in joshua tree and other places but they this was the first one in jamaica and and they were i think the reason why i was able to go and it was invited is because first off they were looking for people with experience and i i think i fit some demographic of age and whatever level of experience i had which um you know and as you know i've been I'm a, I'm a heavy duty psychonaut, you know, mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm well seasoned and groomed in these medicines. So it's like coming home for me. To, and so we were doing hero, heroic doses in this, um, beautiful yoga space. It was actually a retreat center Wow. in the grill, but kind of outside of the tourist district, stunning environment. I mean, so magical and had my own cabin and it was facing this like incredible sea in the Caribbean and, the whole vibe. And then we did the medicine in this kind of huge yoga vaulted ceiling wood room in the middle of the rainforest vibe. So you were just like surrounded by fucking deep nature. And, um, and they're, yeah, they're basically have kind of merged all of the Western models of working with your mind. And, you know, I think they've taken a lot of stuff from this company called the Hoffman Institute, I think, from what I understand, and hmm. some other stuff where you dig, do these deep dives, these questionnaires into your childhood trauma and your ancestry and how it relates to certain parental figures and family and then sabotaging patterns and all that. I mean, the booklet was like this thick. You know what I mean? It was like I journaled so much and had to write and think about things that I haven't really thought about in a long time. Um, and this was all setting up the journeys. So you're Mm. just, and there's like, you know, cranial sacral somatic practices you're doing. I mean, they incorporated everything, all of the spiritual modalities into the working with the mushrooms, which I found fascinating. Like normally you go and just trip your ass off, maybe talk (laughs) to a shaman or have a moment in a clinical setting in a room with one person, but just like they packed it in, you know what I mean? Wow. So the framework is really set up to maximize your, uh, your openness, it sounds like. Yeah. And to kind of 
access your it's really all about you know and, and their view of mushroom psilocybin is that it's the child it's mm-hmm. like the medicine that goes to your to your they call it the children so it goes to your that's that state of being a child and your childhood trauma which i found ayahuasca will do that i mean what i'm realizing is you do high enough doses of psilocybin which i the second night i think i did 30 grams of a blue albino like i mean it was wow yeah like i mean yeah but what's so interesting is that and this is you know that you'll relate to this is having a very consistent and dedicated meditation practice it goes hand in hand with these medicines and what i'm finding is in that i can take them be completely blasted and i i don't take them and put on goggles and headphones i sit in a meditation position and meet it like a practice like here Mm. we are let's see where where we're going and really have a direct experience and you know it's um so it's what I found is that it's not unlike, especially high doses like that, doing duration sits on a retreat where you have to, where you're trying to sit for four to six hours without getting up, you know, and you're working through the most uncomfortable states of mind, but you have to, you have to ride it out, you know, and that kind of discipline, um, once you kind of get knowing how to work with those states, it's, it's, that's basically what those medicines are doing. It's putting you in those states and seeing how you meet them. Right. And a lot of people will work with through trauma. They'll have physical symptoms. Maybe their arm will start twitching. You know what I mean? Or they'll get locked into a state of ego where they can't let go. You know what I mean? There's all these. And, but I, for me, it's like, it's really been like a coming home. I get into these states and I feel completely like I might touch into things like I remember the first I actually and I'll, I'll tell you this I went in thinking and this is what I told them when they interviewed me before I was invited because I was the last person I think invited it was like I found out literally like a week and a half before and they're like okay you can go and I'm like great I'm like <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this is how my life is right now it's just like and I I said, you know, I want to work deeper into my grief. I want to actually, you know, I experienced some really watershed stuff in 2020. I lost two lifelong friends and I want to get in the trenches of it. And although I've been in the trenches all this time, I just want to see where the medicine takes me with it. And I had an ayahuasca ceremony, you know, I've done a lot of ayahuasca since the early 2000s, but I took a break for many years and then I did a ceremony like three, four months ago and had a little bit of a dip into that energy of the grief. But I, I thought I would go into it hard with this psilocybin stuff. And what was so fascinating was, you know, second night, you know, totally. And I, how I described the state I was in was at the peak, it was like post past, present and future. It's like a fourth state. Mm. where you're just and you can't even use the word nowness you know what i mean it's more of just like clear cognizant clear empathetic like you're just completely in this non-dual state of awareness where there's no sense of identity yet you're completely like i'm like you think i'm sober i could have talked to you like this i was totally lucid totally clear and totally tuned into the space you know 
And I, I was like, you know, kind of thinking like, I want to egg on my grief. I want to rip <laughs> open something. And I brought Xerox copies of Sean and Sean photos of them. Mm. And I had them right there next to me. And I, at one point I like leaned off my meditation bench and just looked at them and I felt nothing. Mm. And I, what I realized, dude, is that the charge of my grief that I was, I, cause I had so much survivor guilt I've been working with when it first happened, uh, this idea that I'm, I can't carry on with this work at even like questioning my path as a musician because my whole identity was forged with them. I started really with these guys, especially Reiner, you know? Yeah. So it's like your whole life is wrapped around this identity with this person and, and how you associate your path as a musician, or my, I, mean, I should speak first person, my path. So I, but what I realized was that that moment was that I was, able to stop carrying around that guilt and that sense of that it had their deaths had something to do with me that it was like like it was like the charge had dropped and it's not that i didn't feel anything in the sense that i might you know it was a it wasn't a lack of empathy feeling it was a you don't have to do this anymore you know and i can cry saying this to you right now because it's been really such a tremendous thing to 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 go through this thing you know this this journey of grief and i know you're never done you can, you this it's something <laughs> it's like you're it's you you're forever changed and it's 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 now it's part of my biology and my dna but i've been grieving so hard especially that first year and trying to finish the record i mean months of just paralyzed by grief you and i mean barely able to play my guitar kind of stuff you know mm. and um and just tears and purging and just i mean so incredibly <laughs> almost like i couldn't ever imagine it would be that powerful you know what i mean like i'm a high disciplined person who mm. generally has a high degree of self-control and this motherfucker got me and said no, none of your techniques and none of your ways of thinking you can, you know, stabilize are, aren't going to work here. I'm going to rip you apart and annihilate you. And, and just basically it's like, you're just getting completely gutted to the point where you don't even can't intellectualize anymore what's happening. It's just somatic, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've been doing like a nine month trauma healing program as well. You know, this training course, which is all about somatic practices and trying to really get more open and connected to where my body meets all of this. And, you know, yoga is one way in which we do this. Mm -hmm. So I can very easily get into that where I touch into where it is. And then I'm like, you know, and again, all related to these psychedelic experiences, they're all connected. It's like, and Absolutely. it's, yeah. And I, after that second night of the, you know, first night, I probably did 12, 15 grams. And then the, they were doing this dispensing a tea. And then the second night they saw that I was this very seasoned psychonaut. And they're like, we're just going to give you a ball to chew of, of this hmm. strain, really strong strain. 
And, you know, it took me probably 20 minutes to eat through that whole bowl. I mean, it was just like eating one shroom after another. Like, <laughs> but I was, you know, I was just ready to get in there. And, but what I found, and it was funny because they, this is the other thing, Chris, is they, they videotaped the whole thing. Like they're really documentary. So uh. they documented all of it. And we had cameras in our rooms that we could go and talk to like real world style, you know? <laughs> And I was like, I think after that second night, I was like, I think I'm done with mushrooms. I don't need them anymore. Like I'm, mm. and now, you know, cause there's so much, uh, integration that happens weeks after that you don't realize like the mushrooms almost know more about you than you know about them <laughs> kind of thing. Like, <laughs> like they're really working. There's an intelligence to that plant, to the mycelium that is really interesting, you know, and, and and so I don't, you know, I, I don't rule out, I, 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 you're never done and the medicine, but I did reach a point where I'm realizing they don't work in the way that they used to, you know? Mm, okay. I think having done so much and being so familiar with those states of mind through meditation practice, like I don't have, and having done so much work on so much of that stuff early on, that it's, it's like the purpose of it of what the medicine serves for me over the years is it more about holding space for others. I was really thinking mm. about everybody else in the room and are they doing okay? I was checking in on everybody. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me, Paul, because you're, yeah. you're a psychonaut, you're an elder of the psychonaut community at this point. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you might still in some ways really still identify with a, uh, a, a, a previous version of yourself in a way right you know yeah. but like but what it sounds like you're finding out is that oh no there's through this grief through the this having loved and lost and had these really uh profound relationships that shaped you know who you thought who you thought you were who you might have been and but now it's like you, you're shifting towards this space oh well if i'm going to be here be a part of this scene then it is it is for me to hold the space for this, right? Yeah. To, to, to open my arms and be the, the one that is the calm center uh, amongst all of this turbulent uh, upwelling, because that's a lot of what the, these uh, medicines do, right? Is they, they shake us up, they, they spin us out and they, they, they show, it, show us that we're not as calm and collected as we thought we were. That, that's his job is to go to your wounds, to go to your mm. places that you feel a false sense of security, all the places that all this, the layers we put on as an identity, as an ego to navigate this world, all that stuff gets broken up with the psychedelics. So you have a lot of people are like, who am I? Where am I? Ah, you know, and they'll tense up. But if you, again, meditation practice, dissolving, you know, learning how to let go. And, you know, I was even thinking about, there's just so many things that correlate with Buddhist practice too. the states of mind. I mean, what's so interesting is there's volumes and volumes of texts in those, especially like all those Tibetan monasteries mm. that they wrote all about all these states of mind. I mean, they understood <laughs> all of this. This is what, you know, China was going and trying to fucking to burn all those things down. Cause it's like the secrets of the universe, essentially how your mind works. Right. Absolutely. And, and how it's yeah. connected to everything else. And, so this stuff's been written about, you know, and it's, and it's, so I'm finding like, that's the thing is people who don't have a, a practice 
and they go and do the, these medicines, it can be really disorienting because you're, you know, you're going into the unknown. And for me, every time I sit, I'm going into the unknown. You know I mean? Right. Right. And, and really what I'm doing now by doing this nomadic thing is going into the unknown. It's just busting mm. out of the cocoon, all of the safe places that I keep. It's like, I, this is my, this is how I, I find I, I try and navigate the world, especially as an artist. And I've, I've noticed a pattern every time I finish a record, I tend to, to leave the space where I made the record. And it's like, I kind of, it was, it served its purpose and now it's time to go somewhere else, you know, mm. energetically. It's like, it's like, cause it just took so much out of you to kind of make that work, man, especially a cynic record, you know? So. I really, really wish that was more of a common practice with artists because the, you know, the modern yeah. version, right? We know what it, what it traditionally is. And that is you slave away, you know, or you're, you get creative, in, and, and work your, your hardest possible for X amount of time to create the thing, to get it down on there. Then it gets finally gets mixed. It finally gets mastered. It finally, you choose the artwork, you create the thing, and then it goes out. And then you're expected to triple down on your time invested in promoting the product and being super available right away for all the things. And I think, man, I think you're doing it right. I think that's bullshit. Like, I think that the artist should get a few few months off at least to, like, integrate what they just birthed. It's like you, you just had you just had a baby and yeah. you're, you're oh, no, you know, in a week and a half, you got to be back at back to work nine to five, Paul. I know. Right? No, no. I mean, and there's usually if you're signed to a record company, there's that window of like whatever they're doing to package it. But you don't really get a break because you go from finishing the recording to now dealing with all of that that stuff like the whole campaign to promote it which is from the packaging and the layouts to the promotional campaign to whatever press and and i said that to season of miss after i delivered the record because at some point i i remember saying to like michael the president who i talk to regularly and you know he's been a real confidant and almost like a manager in a weird way for for me is that i said can we push this back to like March, like I, I, I don't want it to, I am not ready for it to come out. Like I'm not ready. I, I don't want to. And he was like, he's like, we've been waiting years for this. And I was like, yeah, but look what's happened in all those years. And he was like, no, we, it's too late. All the channels are set up. Everything's, this is all slotted and calendared and we've got to do this. And hmm. my response to that was like, well, then I'm not ready to do press. I can't talk to people. I need time to just yeah. gestate. I don't even know what I just made. I don't even know what this record is. Now you want me to go to talk about it? Like, I mean, it's because it, 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 it's such a cathartic thing to make a record that comes. It really feels like you're being used in a way. It doesn't feel it's this weird paradox where it's mm. so personal and yet incredibly impersonal especially cynics music it feels like some fucking alien entity coming through my body and just making these sounds and i'll tell you dude i literally like i'm doing a a thing for strandberg um you know like next week that i'm going to play to promote an updated nx version of of the masvidalian of the of the guitar mm. and i I was like, I'm going to do a new song from the record. Of course, you know, like I, I might as well. 
I've had to like relearn this song. I completely forgot mm. what I made. I was like, what the fuck are these parts? Like, <laughs> I'm serious. It was like, whoa, like, and you start to think it's like, this is what happens with every record. I look back on it. And unless you go on tour immediately and start doing that thing of repeating the set and knowing the songs, it's really like becomes this foreign thing that I, I start to observe. And I'm like, what, what just happened? Where did this music come from? And it's really, you know what I mean? It's strangely impersonal. Like, Absolutely. I actually think that's, I mean, that's the best case scenario. A lot of times for an artist is to, again, to get that space away from the project. I mean, I, that it's not there's nothing wrong with going on tour and learning the material to yeah. you know like like it's nothing i mean that's amazing too but there's i think for you in this particular album this particular case especially yeah uh losing losing you know two amazing humans in the same year early in that year later in that year the pandemic firing up all this potential for uh for depression and and, and low states like all this, you know, even when you're a really positive, well-trained, well-practiced person. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's the one thing, you know, the, the pandemic and all this thing has. Oh, really yeah, that was the other on know? top of it. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it was like my, you know, by my, my I always said it was like 2020 was its own thing. And then I had the bookends of Reiner dying in January and Malone in December of the same year, 11 months apart. So it was just like that. Those were the bookends to to already the 2020 experience, which was already collective trauma for the entire yeah. planet. I mean, yeah. everyone was just going through it, you know. So, and as an empathic person, I was already absorbing the collective trauma, working with that. But then this overlaying of the loss and the grief—it was just, you know, I was annihilated to the root, and I I'm grateful for that because. You know, this is what we're here to do. This is what life is for. It's like, we're here to wake up. <laughs> you know, it's not a, it's not supposed to be a cakewalk. It's not supposed to be this cozy. I mean, it's, it's, this is a, a one of the traps of even advanced meditators. And I, I'm guilty of it. And I have those days where I just want to sit in a, a beautiful, stable state of mind and just be, Whew. it's so comfy and cozy mm. and it's all open and and those are those are pitfalls you know in practice like be, yeah, that's why you have to start really you know doing the greater work which is you know and that's why i believe like a practice like tong lin would save the world you know like you start you it's we're others helping others being of service you know and that's when you get into the real bodhisattva work of it's no longer your training it's it's and it's not thinking you have the answer but you just show up for others you show up in whichever way you can you know brother i i that's the one thing i i'm so enamored with you on all these levels but the fact that we share the love for the tibetan buddhist uh meditation and the tonglin the chagyam trungpa the pema chodron uh lineages and 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 i i teach regularly uh you know as you know yoga meditation and one of the things that I, f I have found so, so bountiful in my own heart is the practice of Tonglin and Lojong uh, slogan, you know, using and, and, and this concept of turning. Because for a, much of the first chunk of being introduced to meditation and yoga, I would repeatedly hear, you know, breathe in, 
the good stuff and exhale the bad shit, right? Like take care of you. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, and I, and I look around and everybody's like, yeah, you know, I need to let go of the bad shit and breathe in only the good shit. <laughs> and, and, and it's it, on its, on its head, on itself, on its surface. It's like, you're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Because that's our culture. That's the, that's the infection of, of that whole concept and practice. Yeah. And then, and then somebody comes along and teaches you, or you get turned on to Tong Len and, and it tells you, breathe in the black smoke, breathe in the negativity, take on that, which is closest to you first. So your own resistance to your, to being of service, your own resistance to doing the right thing for you yeah. and, and exhale all the good stuff. Everything you think is good about yourself, everything that you've ever, you know, praised yourself for or any of that stuff or anything you, you are genuinely good. You give it away and you give it back to the world. You give the world your best and you, you turn the, the whole practice turns you into a responsible adult like exactly. it's like this weird you're like yeah. and when i and the, the the message i get when i when i do that it's like that's what this body that's what this psyche that's what this experience is for it's is to be here for you and to breathe in not only my negative stuff but breathe in anything else i can take on anything yeah. else and 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 turn around and try to leave the space that i reside in a little cleaner than i found it yeah yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, that's it. And it's, it's, and part of like, you know, the, a lot of these practices is like, they're saying you're really trying to purify your vessel. So what you're doing is you're transmuting that energy. And it's not like this holier than now, I'm some person that can take the pain in the world and make it into light and spit it out. But in your own humble way to just energetically think to to even approach empathy with that sense of awareness like they say you know in a city like one i'm in right now la where you're hearing ambulances and and police sirens constantly like there's 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 that's that's one of the ways i practice every time i hear that siren man you know That is going to somebody who's suffering right now. Somebody is in a lot of pain. Something's going on. You know, there's, and it's that reminder. It's like you keep touching into it. It's a, and, and this is the thing. It's like, it keeps you on your toes. You don't ever get too sleepy because you start remembering that we're all in this together, man. We're all in this together. And it's so, it's a way of really connecting with, with each other, you know, connecting with our, with our, and I, and I say all life, not just humans, but really, you know what I mean? Sure. It's really kind of bringing together a sense of connectedness with, with each other and realizing that we're not separate, you know, because you're right. Like a lot of those, you know, schools, a lot of those new agey kind of pop culture schools teach, you know, breathe in the good. And it's, it's all just, it's all ego. It's all self-absorbed. It's all spiritual material, you know, um, materialism. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and a lot of these practices we're talking about, or it's like, it's the opposite of what you think you should be doing. It's actually doesn't even make sense logically. It's like, like there was, I mean, I remember reading this somewhere where it was somebody in a class was like, you know, if I do this Tonglin practice based on what you're saying, I, I'm going to get sick. Mm. Like the, you know, the, the, the girl was like, I'm going to get sick. She said to the teacher and the teacher says, oh, good. That means it, it's working. <laughs> that means you're doing your job, you know? Yeah. 
And it's, I mean, but you and I mean it's, but it's, it's not, again, you're not, it's not martyrdom. It's not, it's it's not about that. And it's not thinking that you're better than anybody. It's about relating to others. Like, this is what I always tell friends when they're in a lot of pain and they're having a difficult time. It's like, just, this is a great opportunity for you to realize that most of the world feels this way as well and that you're not alone like it makes you i mean for me i feel more connected to everybody when i tap into that kind of depression and sadness because it's like oh yeah like this is how other people feel too Mm. i'm not alone you know it's a really wonderful way of connecting you know with because you get out of the me my stuff you know because my depression used to look like the walls are closing in. Everything is becoming very small. And I'm in this little room and I'm like, oh, taking, you know, I, you know, it's just like, it's very claustrophobic. Uh, but now it's like the tendency is to just go, oh, wait, no, others are here with me. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how there's these, it, it's all psychology at this point, right? People would say, oh, you're just playing with states of mind. But you know, how we react to everything, how we perceive the world is this is the beginning of a spiritual practice. It's like you have to start working with your mind, you know, and how you deal with hardship, how you deal with the trauma of your life, how you how you work with this stuff. You know, are you running and eating chocolate cake or fucking getting wasted or are you sitting there going, oh, fuck, other people feel this too. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's how you're relating to this experience of being alive. So I feel, I feel that practice definitely helps us uh, put into practice. To, it, it's a place to, to practice turning and facing the, the, the uncomfortability of life, of this existence. And with each experience of deep, pain existential pain or physical pain spirit you know mental pain like you say it it it, it's an opportunity to tune in to the cosmic universal suffering right that 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 the buddha talked about and said you know look you know first rule (laughs) this sucks yeah (laughs) you know first rule and you and and you just got to know that it sucks for everybody you're not the only one that it sucks for yeah but each time you come in contact with that you know that deep sense of loneliness the the uh and 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 the physical aspects of uncomfortability that 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 can be the place where you instead of closing off and going oh i don't want any more i don't want any more i don't want any more yeah you and you box yourself in further and further instead we we begin to try to cultivate that sense of bodhicitta that that open heart that open spacious quality oh no 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 I I can open up to to be a part of the crew, a, a part of yeah what's happening here, and it is there's a universal thing, and if, if by by calling a thing out, by we go oh I mean I'm feeling nervous right now, already the nervousness is starting to leave me right you know yeah I, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now oh okay well that that acknowledgement of it helps disperse the energy to a wider surface versus keeping it pinpointed and rotating in circle in your mind so that it claustrophobically you know pulls in on you right that's that's my experience of it yeah no no and and i right what i when i hear i was speaking to a friend last night about you know about some of this stuff and and 
we, you know, it was like also giving yourself a break. Sometimes, mm. sometimes we just can't do it. We can't meet it head on. We can't lean into it. And we may need to medicate. We may need to do something to not. And that's okay, too. It's okay. Sure. It's okay. Whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, you know, at, at that time, at that moment. If it's more skillful, great. If you can if you can do it in a way that's a little bit gentler towards yourself. But, man, if you need to just do something, hopefully it's just not harming other people, you know, and mm -hmm. stuff. But, but I understand, you know, I get why people check out. I get why they... You know, I have a friend right now who I, I woke up thinking of the other day and found out it was his birthday. Totally tuned into him. He's a friend that I kind of tried to help out for a while and he fell off the rails and now he's homeless and he's been homeless for over a year on the streets of L.A. and kind of floating around. I saw him for a while and then he just disappeared again. And mental illness, um, you know, and I have... I'm connected to somebody who's connected to him. And they told me that he's emaciated, barely hanging on and living under a bridge somewhere in the really roughest parts of downtown LA. Mm. And I thought, man, I, I, you know, maybe I should go find him, you know, like, and just see what I can do. But what's been happening is a lot of people who care about him and love him. He's a really extraordinary musician and songwriter actually really talented artist um, just who was went down, you know, and um, he, he doesn't want the help and he's been like, he always leaves. Like he gets put, put in that rehabilitation center at home and he leaves. He just, this is what he's doing, you know, and mm -hmm. just to hold space for that and just, you know, it's as difficult as it is. But I, I think that also, he was such an empathetic person. It's like, it's that same empathy. That's like, it's just one of these things I can see how it's all connected with him. And, and he's just now with, you know, right there in the, in the barrel, in the, in the bottom of the suffering at the, you know, the, the, as gnarly as it gets, you know what I mean? As gnarly as it gets, like he's, he's in it. And yeah, it's hard to, to bear witness to that and not be like, I got to help them. I've got to save them. And mm. to just, but realize this is what they're doing. And so, yeah, it's, um, here we are, you know, <laughs> I mean, and, and we're not separate. Like, that's the thing he, he, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm in this with him and I just feel like, you know, it's like, who was I talking to the other day? Like we were talking about, you know, friends said, oh, I lost, you know, this friend to COVID and this and that. And I said, you know, we all get to die somehow. We don't know how, <laughs> unless right. we take our own lives. We don't know how. And um, whether it was COVID or being hit by the car or cancer, something's going to stop this thing from going on. And, and you can't argue with that, you know, so... No. It's um, because a lot of people had this, you know, a polarizing thing with the the whole COVID environment, and sure, it's like 
everybody's has to exit somehow. And I, again, it's not being fatalist or arguing with like, oh, plagues show up and wipe out populations. But there is a part of it just says you're arguing with reality. You're arguing with something that is just happening. And yeah. do you know what I mean? It's absolutely, man. That's what's it's. And I, it, what it brings up for me is like knowing it's that, that ever present, like uh, concern of like, uh, what what do i do uh can i do anything um and you know and will will it make a difference either way like i i think that you know and so yes sometimes when things are in, within reach with a friend like that i mean i last year got the news that a you know uh old high school friend uh, I, it sounds like he's been convicted of murder you know and mm-hmm. uh a close a close friend of mine in junior high and early high school and i know, i mean i know his heart and and it's uh you know i it sounds like you know he did it i i i can't contest it but there's a part of me that like i was like okay how do i how do i go how do i can i help him do i go to the jail do i go to the prison do i <laughs> right is, is is anything i'm gonna say gonna be of any help or am i just trying to look good by feeling like Oh, I, it's gotta be about me. I've got to go get involved. That's the other thing too, man. You know, playing savior is a weird head trip. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I ran around, I remember early on the getting into volunteer work with the terminally ill. It was like, it was a combination of fear of death, but it was also feeling like, Oh, you know, this is my role as a karma yogi. But I, I realized there was a lot of egotism in that. There was a lot of just like specialness, like I'm going and working with the dying, you know, and it's like, so it's like now I'm, you know, trying to be more careful about even talking about that work because I don't need anybody telling me, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so it's like, again, it's meeting all that stuff in a very humble way without having to talk about it. You know what I mean? And hundred percent. Yeah, that's that our motivations. And it's it's a funny thing, because here we are on a podcast, you know, that's (laughs) all these things that the way that we express ourselves in public, it it oftentimes is a lot, it has to do with a lot of our private endeavors, things that people don't see, and they won't see if we don't chat about it, if we don't express it. But there's something to be said, as you're alluding to right now, that we should have a practice if we're if we consider ourselves a genuine do-gooder in the mm-hmm. world then most of that the, the, the what the world should sees of that around you should just be the tip of the iceberg and most of it yeah shouldn't be seen heard or or or, or blabbed about from the highest mountain right yeah. because it's really because then because then you're not doing it it's not pure at that point it's you know, it's like that's there are very few things that are that are set up in a pure way, you know, and we know like Vipassana meditation retreats. One of the purest things you can come across in this life is for an organization to say you can't give us any money or any of your time until you've exp- until you've expressly felt the benefit of a 10 day retreat. Then right. then we might take some of your money and some of your time. But until you sort that out until you actually understand where we're coming from a little bit, then, we, then it's fine. We'll figure it out. You know, yeah. we don't need your help. And, and so, yeah, you know, finding a pure quality in the way that we give, like if we're, we always are going to receive when we give, 
always, but if we're always giving to receive, yeah, right. Exactly. That's then, then that just points to the work that you know. Oh, I still feel unloved. I still feel unworthy. Oh, I still feel like oh, yeah. I don't get enough attention. Oh no! I mean, it's funny. Like I came from parents that never understood what I was doing as a musician, right? So they never really, they didn't not support like the path, but they didn't understand it at all. So sure. it was never like, yeah, good job, but we love this, or you're actually accomplished something on your instrument, or it was no, there was no like your support. robot voice is getting so much better. Right. Not, not, we love the robot voice. There was no cheerleading going on yeah. in the parental department. And I feel like, you know, looking back, it's like so much of that. And it's so interesting how that happens with, with kids that grew up in an environment like that. It can go many different ways. And for, for me, it almost becomes like you almost, almost go into a, a place of overcompensating and trying to overachieve because you were never seen or heard by your parents. So you're just like trying to like do as much as you can. I got to become the best guitar player I've got to do. And it's like, you know, someone's got to realize this, you know, I, let me go do volunteer work and help people. And just like someone tell me I'm okay that I'm, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's trying I, to overcome that feeling of uh, uh, in, in a wretchedness because we weren't seen, you know, seen, we weren't heard seen. and quite yeah. cultivated. We weren't held. In, yeah. and, and I think, you know, honestly, even those that are still come in contact with this kind of basic of human wretchedness, right? That we yeah. have to like, and we almost, whether we admit it or not, we're kind of disgusted by ourselves. And so like all of our works, all of our deeds, all the, all the show, all the act is about like, Hey man, like I'm not that bad. Am I tell me I'm not that bad. Please, I know. Believe, please believe that I'm not that fucking bad, please anybody yeah. you know yeah I, I mean the story of 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 the me of the i you know and this this attachment to to who we think we are and our identity and it's um the root of all suffering <laughs> that's that's what they you know it's like the the story of of our you know it's like this is why it is it does that's why like the tong winds do save the world because it gets you out of your bullshit you know mm. Mm. And, and, and they, you know, a lot of these practices, like it can feel so mechanical at first and, but you have to just keep doing it, you know, and it's eventually it goes past that stage of being an intellectual process and it becomes really experiential. It really be, it's integrated, mm. you know, practice and, and all is coming. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just have to kind of keep doing it and. You know, it's um. you have to outsmart your own mind. You have to outsmart your own weird, manipulative way of navigating reality and and push through these blocks and things that we built to. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's an ongoing situation, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I think I think you just alluded to something that that I, I currently ponder quite a bit, and that is. Um, the mind is so clever, right? Like to outsmart what you have to recognize about yourself and others subsequently is that, that because of the trauma, because of the, the, the things that you've experienced, you've gotten clever, you've gotten really clever and you've, you're constantly, whether you know it or not, you're trying to get one up on everybody all the time through your, 
through your conversation. Oh yeah. Well, here's my way of relating to that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we can do it subtly, even with spiritual friends, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, you sat for four hours. Oh, I, I remember the time I sat for eight hours. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, you, you did, you did 30 grams. Oh, I remember when I did 60, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> know. and, and, and that whole funny little thing that we're so, we're so clever. So if we can, if we can come in contact with our own cleverness and how, you know, that leads to self-deception. Right. And, and that, so that if we can know that about ourselves, that then, then it becomes more and more as we practice, as we sit and we, and we label the thoughts thinking, right. As they come up at, and we, we can file them into a, the, the, the category that is just that, that it's not the now it's not the present. It's not the actual happening in this moment. It, it it's just passing through and it's trying to catch you. And if you don't get caught by it, then, you know, you, you, you remain in a place that is, uh, you know, uncontrolled by those external yeah. things, right? And oh yeah, I mean that's find like, a little bit of reprieve. Yeah, I mean that's the you know in in meditation practice, like you know, there's these states of open awareness, right, where you're no longer caught up in just the the labeling or the the the, the monkey mind as they put it you know you're not wrangling that anymore you're just in this state of like it's like a fresh open awareness and that's kind of like you know when when you're if you can get there it's like there's no one here there's no there's no more identity there's no more like caught up in that me stuff you're just in this like it and there's nothing special about that actually it's like there's no specialness in it too it's like so because there's no one there you know it's just that open awareness of just being showing up Mm. for what's what's here and not attaching to some point of view or perspective or way of seeing it's more just like and there was a there was a practice that we used to do, um, I, I was thinking about it again recently. And, and when I was in the early days of Shambhala, it was um, called wind horse technique. Yes. Yeah. You know about this, like, I think it's in, you know, the, in that, the, the training Shambhala training book. Right. And it's like, Absolutely. close your eyes and then you open in that direct seeing and open fresh aware. And it's like, you know, these are all these little practices just to kind of, Man, just keep the gradual awakening, the gradual way of showing up and 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 dismantling this the story, you know. Um, you know, and it's like people like there's a lot of these non-dual teachers, you know, um Robert Spira, I think his name is, and Jeff Foster, they would talk about it. it's like you're not broken. There's nothing to fix. Mm. There's no there's nothing like stop fixing. It's all okay. It's all mm. just like stop the story of the brokenness, you know, and, and people like Carolyn Mace would say that like, like one of the issues she had with this, the school of AA, which I think is a very high program in terms of getting people off of drinking and stuff. But there's this, there's a woundology aspect she would talk about where you keep recycling the story of all the harm you caused. And I know the idea is that you're helping others because they relate to your story. And this is how you keep staying in the program and getting better because you're creating a collectiveness of familiarity with each other. But at some point you do have to stop with the woundology too. You have to stop carrying this thing on your back and 
open yourself up, right? To stop, stop. You're, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to be that identity that you don't have to be the story of your past. You know, you can start again and be somebody new, you know? What a great new word that is. Woundology. Yeah. She, I, huh. she wrote about that a long time ago. I remember reading somewhere and I thought I found it interesting. Yeah. It's uh woundology, like, cause it's a, we get addicted to our wounds and there's a whole culture that's so caught up in like, I have a lot of friends. They just go from one healing practice to another trying to fix the trauma and the and even this era now of all these plant medicines coming in and understandably you know we're we're trying to look um but there comes a time where you just stop stop chasing do you what i mean this it's like you get so attached to the identity of the wound and what you and this whole that's another form of egotism and and, and kind of, you have to just like dismantle that too. You have to, but it's like these stages, you know, of like it's, um it's, this is why it's an ongoing situation in like a classroom really, you know, it's like, you never, there's no over there. It's just ongoing and constantly the work is always right here in front of you. And there is no over there. <laughs> it's just right here. This is, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's the that's one of the main things I feel like Pema distilled from from Trungpa was like it's not about getting somewhere it's about how you work with the present moment at any mm-hmm. given time at any given. Mm. Time. I lo- I love I love that when I hear Trungpa and I, I I hear it in Pema too but the you know that that when you when you find when you stop and you and you collect yourself so to speak that you find that your situation is workable and when and 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 hearing yourself kind of affirm oh wait this this is workable like like when because as we're ramped up as we're either tightly constricted or too far out wound too far out right we 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 feel like it's unmanageable and so the and the unmanageability of or the the perceived unmanageability of our yeah. current situation is where when we get even further off you know the path so to speak i mean it's all all path everything is path but it gets further off the mark of yeah. like of finding yourself relatively free amongst all these external um you know uh different possible possible kind of um things that could affect you right so you know when we move towards that play that place of like uh seeing ourselves and seeing clearly just the next couple of steps it becomes workable oh i all i gotta do right now is get my keys get my car get in my car and go to the grocery store i just you know all the other things can wait because i can't do anything else if there's not food in the house or whatever, you know what I mean? Like the simplest math possible makes the situation workable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, sometimes you can't even get to the grocery store, you know, sometimes you can't, like, I remember I've had those times, um, you know, where I couldn't, first off, like eating is just impossible. I I'm one of those people that, under a lot of stress and, and anxiety or in high states of whatever, where I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever, I, I just don't eat, dude. I mean, mm-hmm. some people eat their way through it. That's I just me. Like, 
yeah. the opposite. <laughs> right. We all do it differently. Mm-hmm. But it's um, but I found like I remember like learning how to ask for help was a big thing. Knowing like saying to a friend, I can you help me like I need to do this right now and I don't even know how to do it. I, I don't know how to get myself to the post office and fill out this, put the address on this. Like I, it's like, you're that so broken down to nothing where I can, I'm barely functional. And, and I've had those moments and it's, and to know how to ask for help. I mean, man, that's, that's a big one, you know, to know and, and know who's there for you. You know, this is where you, you know, you start to really see who who your friends are when Mm. you really have, you're at the end of your rope and there's nowhere to go and you can't, you can barely get up, no less eat and be functional. And it's like, who's, who's showing up for you then? Who's around, you know, those, those people that are connected to you. And I have some of those friends that have just, you know, you just feel, oh man, I don't know how I would have made it through without, without that, without that support, that presence, you know, of, of energetic of people that, so it's like, yeah, cause there are those times where all you can do is just not do anything and just, and, and meet yourself there. Like, you know, like I got really comfortable. I remember early on with just states of depression that was immobilizing you know, Mm. where I had to just let it do its thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, there you are. Run its course type of thing. Yeah. Run its course. Okay. Like try and eat, take better care of myself right now if I can, and just be extra gentle with what's going on because it's, it's showing up again, that old friend. And it's, it's not even related to a narrative or a current story. It's just this physiological ancestral trauma that's showing up in my fucking body. Mm. And I got to just ride this mama out, man. And sometimes it's just whatever it needs to be. Like, you know, it's part of what I love. You know, I'm definitely a water person and being down in SD County, you know, where my brother is and stuff, it's like, man, just to get to the ocean, just to be in, in front of that, that the sea. It's just, mm. I give all my problems to the sea. I say, this Same. is yours now. <laughs> Help me. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and, you know, there are stories about that. Some of those Greek philosophers, I think it was like Socrates, he would like, Run, you know, with his students, he would ask the salamanders for help, like in you know, and the creatures, and be like, "Help me, help me through mm. this." And it's like it is. It's like you just sometimes you just are wherever you can get some little support, you know. To know that's the, that's the kind of the other one of the other sides of being uh, on in a path or in a practice is that we're always being offered these tools and techniques right like and that's wonderful i mean i it's one of the things i thought to even ask you about it's like oh what's the favorite technique or two that you've learned through the years that you kind of you know lean on but like the the thing that we have to remember around this is that like um if if we're always trying to like if we if we if if every time something negative happens and we just try to like sweep it out with our technique the, and it just tried to, it, then that's a, that's a form of, you know, running from it. That's a form of avoidance. That's a form of, 
you know, um, uh, trying to escape and the thing. And so also yeah. having the wisdom of knowing when to let the thing run its course, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and be easy. And, and that, that's a, a tool too. And, but it's, again, it's like having, having tools, you know, and this is where all this stuff, I think all this stuff is why it's worthwhile is to spend time getting to know your mind and to, to just practice because we, it, it comes in handy during those times when you're at the end of your rope. And mm. I, I literally, you know, like being taken to those edges of, of, of grief and despair, having lost my friends, it was, it was one of those things where I, I don't know if I would have made it, if I didn't have a practice, if I didn't have th these tools to go to and to recognize and to say, I, you know, I got to ask friends for help now. Oh, now I do a self care thing. Now I, I ingest a psychedelic. Now I, I, I journal. Now I, you know, I just cry. Now I curl up in a ball and don't move for fucking a day. You know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. I need, but to give yourself the space. And I feel like that's all part of having tools to mm -hmm. just rather than not knowing because it can feel so overwhelming. You're just, you're just running, you get manic and you just, and you can't, you know, but this is the, this is what's going on all the time. If you pay close attention, there's nothing to hold on to, right? It's that the, the, the trunk book quote of that, you know, the good news is, um, right. That, you know, you've jumped or whatever. And, um, I, and, you know, I guess the, the, the bad news is you've jumped and there's no parachute and the good news is there's no ground, right? It's that, I love that quote. It's so good <laughs> because it's so true. It's like you're in this constant free fall if you're really paying attention. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the true nature of reality. It's like, and to be in touch with that is to just connect with all life because mm. everyone's fucking feeling that, man, you know, on some level, whether they realize it or not. So yeah, man. man. Thank you, Paul. Um, I just love talking to you. It's oh, I love <laughs> I know. Like are I, we getting into some music talk too, or what? I'm seeing yeah, these bars was, on your wall. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. Well, I was gonna ask you. I mean, I, I this remastered Aeon spoke is out. Yeah, that just dropped not too long ago, and I, you know, I remember. I, Aeon spoke. I, wasn't it in different forms and smaller EPs or something like that? It, it and started then, as an EP and and then it went through. We kind of self released this record and then we signed with SPV and did a like a remaking of the album with added songs and this like release now because I took it offline years ago and just kind of made it disappear for a while and it's kind of a reemerging of the past early version of the band with the with the, the most recent version and what's mm -hmm. so interesting in unearthing this stuff is that i've gone and found like i went through the archives and i found like that the eon spoke period was my probably my most prolific songwriting period of my life so far where i was just wow. busting out songs constantly like i'm talking like you know every couple days song a week like really in songwriter mode just like and just it was just pouring out of me and so i found like so many demos man like i mean i'm saying i would say maybe 
75 to 100 songs people haven't heard. Wow. And I... And some of them are more flushed out than others, and some are more bandy, and a lot of them are just bare bones acoustic stuff. But I've kind of narrowed it down to about 30 that I feel like are the juicy bits that tell the story of the band from the beginning to right before we reform Cynic. Because mm. if you listen to the stuff right before we reform Cynic, it starts to sound like Cynic. I remember. And a lot of those songs became Cynic songs, mm. which is so interesting. So I'm going to release these like little EPs that are the trajectory of Eon from pre this, the stuff that just got released and then post, which is really interesting because you see how it kind of all led back to Cynic in a weird way. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's, a, it's really fascinating for me to look back at that and kind of put pieces together of a weird puzzle, you know, about what time period did the stuff that you just released? Uh, what, when was that being, being written roughly? It was, uh, like basically, you know, when I, when Cynic broke up in 94, 95, you know, we all dispersed from Miami and everybody went their separate ways. And I moved to California, you know, and, um, and I had a brother here. I've had family here. So I, I came and I came because MI gave me a scholarship. You know, I was, I, I went to UCLA to like study composition and I was on hold for the composition program. So I was just doing like, I had done all the core class stuff, you know, and everything. And then I was like, fuck it, you know, you know, uh, um, what's his name? Scott Henderson's at MI, Joe DiOrio. I, this book, uh, Fusion, was a big deal for me when I was getting into jazz. And of course, I was a huge tribal tech fan. So I, I went to MI and then this guy, Sid, this jazz teacher, and I was like, yeah, I want to, you know, kind of. I'm interested in going to school here, maybe look for a semester. Or I just want to study with these guys. And they said, you know, okay, well, here's the, do an audition. I auditioned and I got lucky. I got in front of these jazz guys who were like, oh, you can play. You, you're, you're coming for free. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. so they gave me a free ride, you know? Wow. So I bailed on the traditional college thing and went to MI for a couple years and just sat in rooms with Henderson and Joe DiOrio learning. <laughs> geeking out this was post cynic so it was a dream That's because i could incredible. be incredible you and i mean yeah no and then it was like it was also for me la saying come you, you know we're welcoming you into this city yeah you get, so you know i bartended at night and i went to school during the day and was just fucking practicing like a maniac it was awesome mm. and then ended up in session work for television and i was doing i became i worked for a guy named ben vaughn who at the time, his first show was called Men Behaving Badly. And then he got Third Rock from the Sun and then that 70s show. And this was – so when I was started working for Ben, I was literally getting coffee for him. You know, I was just like his assistant. And then he was like, damn, you're like overqualified. You can play guitar. You've got these skills. And he was one of these eclectic dudes from Philadelphia who like knew music and then he knew Cynic. He's like, Oh yeah, I know about that weird band. You're part of that band. You know, like, oh, true. like a lot of outsiders knew Cynic that weren't in the metal scene. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, well, you know, it transcends. Yeah. Transcends, you know, and focus had that. It was like kids in jazz schools and stuff that weren't even in the metal were like this weird band, you know? So, so Ben, um, 
brought me in. And then the more trust I, you know, I got with him, the more he brought me in as a musician and I started to play and I was like playing and I got deep into the TV shit, you know, and I was like scoring and I had a Discovery Channel kids show and we, Sean eventually moved out and we started our little composition company. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a composer in Hollywood. You know, this was the mindset. I was like, I'm done with the rock and roll life, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, we had our own trauma with Cynic, but but, you know, going, I, you know, I did the school thing and I got so busy with the session work and the composing that I had to bail from MI. I couldn't, I never finished the program. I like basically dropped out because I had to choose between making a living and being a student again. And I was like, I want to make a living as a musician, you know? So it was, it was fine. Cause all I was there to MI to do was just to shred anyways and just get, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was just a blast. You're going from one room to another, jamming with sick musicians. And it's such an incredible environment to be in music school, you know? I love that place. Yeah, it's, um, so that was, but yeah, and then we ended up, but it was, what was so interesting was I started to find that the whole realm, especially back then, this is mid, late 90s, you know, TV wasn't what it is now. It was more sitcom era where you almost like stooped to be a composer and the real composers were people doing films. Mm -hmm. As to now we're in the era of incredible television where it's on the level of filmmaking. It's like, it's high level art. You know yeah, what I mean? TV's thick now, right? And it's not just these little bumpers and cues just to fill in sections of the next joke for a sitcom. You know, it's like, like composers are really frowned upon in that in that world and now they're like respected as artists and it's more it's just a different world in terms of how that stuff is seen but i was part of that early scene where i felt you know it was such an afterthought the music was this thing that you you just like you're just doing the music after and it was like it's more about the actors and the, the screenwriting. And of course that does hold everything in, in television. If you don't have a good script, you're, there's nothing, right? That's the foundation. But I, as a songwriter, as an artist, I was like, fuck, this feels so empty. I'm just writing this like filler music and mm. playing these stupid cues and sound alikes and, you know, doing library music. And it was just like, you know, it was nice to know I had the chops, but it was just felt so as an artist, it felt really, it didn't do the, didn't, I didn't feel better, you know? Mm -hmm. I and um, I, that's when Eon Spoke emerged and it was like, I started to get into songwriting again and kind of, it was a way of healing from cynics disillusion and coming back to my roots as a kid that grew up listening to, from a hippie mom, folk music and all kinds of music, you know, but I remember like distinct memories of Simon and Garfunkel and, you know, hearing Bob Dylan on, on the radio and like, you know, and bread and, you know, like David Gates and stuff and all these songwriters and, and th that fascination. And I kind of had bypassed that getting into Prague early on with Cynic. It was like my voice emerged and went right into being a technical musician. So it was really all about coming back to the roots of like, who am I? And this is really challenging to write a simple song. Mm. To write you do a it so well, though, man. This group of songs is great. Like, Thank you, man. Like, no, I, I, mean, I, I just want to say out loud, like, I love 
like I love all the, every song on this on this you know offering that you put out, but like Pablo at the park, and uh, and Suicide Boy, and there's a bunch of them. That would, but those two, and and a few others, kind of they it fit the '90s era that yeah. you were writing in, and totally. like, I feel like Pablo in the park. I don't know if you're even a fan, but like it reminds me a, a smidge of Jeff Buckley. Like what? Like oh, sure. I feel yeah. like you and Jeff could have been hanging out writing songs together. Oh, I mean, I was a huge fan of oh, Greg okay. when they came out, and yeah, oh. I mean, I saw him. I saw a gig of his in Miami, you know, before he oh, died. Really? Like, yeah, oh. I saw. So like, no, that's that was my whole scene. Like that's the thing. Like we were weird outsiders in the metal scene, having done Cynic, but we were listening to like everything but metal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. meanwhile, we're playing this crazy fucking prog death <laughs> shit. You know. But I think that's what made the music so interesting because the same was true when we made Human. You know, I mean, we were right. like listening to like all kinds of crazy, interesting jazz and fusion and. And it was getting incorporated into this extreme art form. And so I think that's what made it so refreshing. You know, it kind of gave it, it's like, it, it, and it also was like made it weird and unique. It gave it its own voice, right? Because we weren't copying Metallica. Right. We weren't copying these other bands. We were like trying to do something new, you know? Thankfully. Um, yeah. I mean, I think your ears, like, especially, I was just telling um somebody i gave a guitar lesson to recently i was like listen force yourself to listen to new music and and like i remember forcing myself to listen to jazz like forcing it forcing myself to listen to like unorthodox forms of classical music because i felt like it cleaned my ears out and it expanded Mm -hmm. the harmonic content it was like suddenly i can hear now how a minor six works with the melody and and it was just coming out naturally because i've been listening to a lot of weird sophisticated harmony you know yeah or it's like you have to get it in your ears before it comes out of your body you know it's like that's some of the best advice i was ever given uh in music school i I, uh, by my jazz teacher he i I mean, I kind of, we were talking and he was like, he listened to a little bit of my old metal band and he was like, okay. And he was kind of a stoic dude, but he's kind of like, so you want to be a good metal guy, right? You want to be a good metal guitar player? I said, yeah. You know, I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm trying to book my band and write songs. And he's like, okay, um, stop listening to metal for a good while. Like mm-hmm. listen to anything else, but mm-hmm. listen to things that are, just super different from what it is that you play and take little notes, like imbibe that vibe and see what from that can be brought in so that you'll actually have something that is unique to say that it's not, you know, just a remixed Metallica riff or Pantera riff or whatever, you know? And I was like, Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we're musicians and we're in the business of making sounds. So it's like, you have to, I think it helps. I mean, I found now like when making records, especially cynic type records, I can't listen to anything because you're just, it's so much noise is already going on trying to get this out that it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't need any more input. I'm just like working through these puzzles. (laughs) You're trying to figure out what they are and get, get them out on, you know, into a, into a production. But, but yeah, man, like it's true. Listening, expands and i think it produces more original and interesting music like i mean 
it's like it's it just it pushes your ears out and it makes it's like it's going to inform your craft it, it can't help you know and we were doing that as friends we would always be like turning each other on to like did you hear this record man did you hear this shit you know and that's the thing so much of it is an acquired taste it's not quick fix music it's challenging i mean mm. To this day, I feel I still feel like I barely understand Holdsworth. I mean, that shit was so like, <laughs> what the hell? Mind blowing. So, well, it's just so like, it's so weirdly atonal in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no tonal center. He's just jumping around and weaving these fucking alien fucking chromatic solos over these fucked up chord changes, it never quite lands. It's just in this suspended state, and that's the sound of Holdsworth. It's just fucking crazy shit, you know? Everything all at once. I know. Of, you know. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like, it was, it, but it was funny. Like, we got to the point with some of those records where we are like, singing Secrets, you know, that record in Wardenclyffe Tower, and, like, it's like you find how it was curiously catchy or weirdly how, what it meant to Holdsworth as a, like how it was like it made sense. It starts to make sense like, oh, OK, but it, it was such an acquired taste. It's like impossible to get used to it for most people to this day. True, know? true. Guitar players are fascinated because it's just like, what the fuck is he playing? But now we're at a point where you know the youtube generation it's like all been the codes have been revealed and there's baby holdsworths left and right and it's just like that's a sound you know and it's amazing because it was not a lot of people could play like that back then you know that's true there there are a couple there's a a recent youtube upload that's super long a guy totally demystifying all oh, really? Holdsworth solos. Yeah, it's like like an hour or two or something like that. And he's and it's very it's got notes and all this stuff. And I was like, I started to watch it and I was like, I don't know if I want to know how this sausage is made, to be honest. Like, yeah. I, you know, like it is I mystifying know. to me, but like uh, and I do want to know like some of the voicings, like part of me wants to dabble in it, but I don't I don't want to know too much because yeah, no, I, I, I like mean, the magic. I can relate to that as a as a study person who spent a lot of time in music theory and all that. It's like like I remember, you know, especially transcribing music, it's like you start to understand, okay, and this chord and this and this, but it's to a, a point. And I was luckily able to straddle that line where I could not write from that place. It was never mm. theoretical writing. It was more outside the box writing, but it had the theoretical reference points, but it was still just fucked up enough to where it was totally uneducated too. You know what I mean? It was like straddling that line. and. And I feel like that's, you know, that's for the curse for some musicians, especially those with like high level, perfect pitch. It's like, there's no mystery to this. They hear everything and immediately know what's going on. Mm. And it's like the music almost loses its mysticism at that point. It becomes, it's like completely like, you know it immediately, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, that's that's a definitely a double-edged sword and maybe sharper, yeah. a little sharper on that one side because it's like, you know, I feel bad for people, I you know, with that have an exact pitch in a way because I see them wince at things and I'm like, oh, like it's it's difficult to accept the imperfection here and here and here where they'd want to like straighten out the lines and the right. like kind of the yeah. humanity a little bit of it sometimes, you know, because they're so exacting and they're like, 
at the same time, they're so exacting that they're ridiculous. And right, it's I, a fine line though, because there's yeah. like the, those Berkeley cats, you know, like yeah. the, the school of the, even those bands that like they sound. It's almost like sterilized. It's so precise. And but then there's friends like I have this friend Dan West, a pianist who's an old friend who I worked with on a lot of projects, and he had this high level of perfect pitch. Like you can literally just go to a piano and do this with your elbow on it and he'll just name all the notes that got pushed by your arm. <laughs> and, but he was so, it was so advanced that he liked things a little out of tune. He mm. liked all of the edges when things got fucked up because he, do you know what I mean? It was almost like, fuck it up a little, like fucking that's, like, uh, that's amazing. That. yeah. And that's when it's like the next level. It's like, yeah, let's get into microtonal music and shit. Cause I need to fuck my ears up. They're too good. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like breaking and, up all the perfection. Yeah, yeah. Which is really cool. Cause then you're getting out of all that, you know, just, it's just too, it gets so sterile. It just becomes too intellectual and it's just like, it starts to feel soulless, right? All that education, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, again, it's straddling that line. I think that's where the art happens really, where it's like, it, you have to throw away the education and mm -hmm. kind of say something. And, you know, that's a lot of things where I say to a student, it's like, especially these bedroom musicians that still haven't left their parents' house, they're shredding like maniacs. I'm like, go get your heart broken, dude, go get lost. Go do drugs to <laughs> go live your life. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. need that. You you've got chops for days. That's done. Like mm -hmm. now, you need to have something to say. You know, yeah. go live, and uh, and that that's has nothing to do with the playing. It has to do with going and having a human experience and being an artist. You know. Mm. But, um, Man, uh, all that say all in the background of my mind as we're talking here. I'm like, yeah, it, I have you. I'm really fascinated with and like hooked on the new Kendrick Lamar. Have you oh, heard it? I haven't heard it. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, it's just like such a high level of art and artistry that he's display that's on display and like he's already a very phenomenal artist and i mean i, I you could look back at his catalog but this album from start to finish is like this healing out in public this kind of and there's all these little references to eckhart tolle and like he's got a couple of samples from him and and you know some of it is uncomfortable like i mean in a way that like you and I probably couldn't create music that was uncomfortable this way, just, yeah. just we, which we just wouldn't be able to like, That's we couldn't cool. draw from the experiences, but the way that he's drawing from his experiences and weaving them into, you know, artistic hip hop, modern hip hop music. Oh, I got to check it out with jazz yeah. overtones and undertones. And nice. uh, yeah, and there's a track on there that um, I think it's, we cry together or something like that, that it's like, it's it's him in kind of in character and a, and this other female uh rapper in character and there it's a it's almost a call and response thing and it's oh. just it's it's over the top it's the it's the toughest track to listen to because they're fighting it's an argument it's a it's oh. a it's like you're witnessing a domestic dispute right Whoa. down the street and the cops are should be called any moment right because they're going at each other but they're rhyming back and forth in the way they're doing it and and then and it's like if you 
actually stop and take in what's happening, uh, it's absolutely genius. I'm like, wow. but the first time I listened, first two times I listened to it, I was like, oh, difficult, man. I don't, oh, it kind of makes wow. me not, I kind of want to press, I want to press right. past it. You know, I want to jump past it, but I'm like, this is obviously on this album for a reason. Like, and, yeah. and the more I let it wash over me and I, I, oh, oh. And then now it's like, I'm like, it's still difficult to listen to. It's almost like, uh, for an example, like good, a good example would be, um, that movie uh quentin tarantino did django oh yeah unchained right epic movie but the second time i went to go watch it i was like oh bro it's so difficult yeah it's like wait it was you know i don't want to i don't want to ingest it again yeah you know even though it's high art yeah kind of that vibe yeah. but no that's a good sign generally those challenging things they because they it takes longer to kind of it's like but once you get it you're like whoa this is it's like you have to earn it you know, and I, I like records like that, that aren't easy. You know, it's like I was talking to, with someone last night about that as well. A, a journalist uh, friend who's actually up in near, near Berkeley. Um, and he was saying um, how, like we were talking about how, like how an artist like myself can get really annoyed with the first wave of reviews that happen when I put out a record because they're in some ways i mean historically real journalists are gatekeepers for like interpretation of art right like the new york times will give you it was like you, people would go to that to understand a critique of of, of of a piece of art a piece of music a play or whatever and it was respected it's real journalism these these people are educated they have their reference points and you would actually defer to them to how to perceive this work and it actually like they became gatekeepers where they would kind of they can really fuck up the experience of a record for for like an artist can lose thousands in sales or exposure to a population of people because of that journalist's point of view yeah so it's a very delicate space, you know, and that's why I was like in the age of, you know, that we're in now where, you know, you had a lot of people just running around starting blogs saying, I'm, I'm a journalist. I have an opinion. It's like, no, you're not. You're not. Edu you haven't educated yourself. You don't know. You don't have a background in this. You can't run around and just spew your, but this is the world we're in. I mean, it's happening with photography. It's acting. It's like, it's a lot of like, mediocrity going on without like the background it's not as like the integrity isn't there like it used to be it's it just so you have to find where the opinions the people that have had like the you know the the gatekeepers who have a little bit more wisdom or practice who have more experience right and and i was i remember like you know the some of the reviews early on that came out even of cynic's album i was like i could tell immediately how much they listened to it like mm -hmm. I was like this this guy didn't even get through the record and he's running around reviewing it it's like you didn't even listen to the whole thing cuz the, the the things you're saying point to that you didn't listen like you're fucking up things so I'm like it's bad on the editor that that actually let this review come out and bad on the journalists who didn't do their homework but there's this egotism that happens in a lot of journalism and certain outlets where they're just still caught up in their, you know, it's a bunch of fluffy writing and it's like they're jacking off 
with how well they can write and they have nothing to say. They're not really doing their work. Just turning something in, you know? Yeah, turning something in or not really properly listening to something and certain records. In some ways, I feel like records that get, because, you know, this happened with Cynic early on. I mean, Focus was annihilated with our Mm. first album. Very few people came out and said, this is cool. Most people were like, this is bullshit. What the fuck are these lyrics? What do these kids think they're doing with this vocoder and the growl thing and mixing it up? And then these clean sections, they were destroying us left and right. Now all those people come back like, I love Focus back in the day. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Don't act like you supported us. You you didn't. You there was I know I remember the people that were there for us. And there's, it was few and far between, you know, it was very, and, but it was one of those things where, you know, but I feel like that's a good sign, actually, some of these records that get annihilated early on, because it's like, oh, maybe it just needs a little more time. And, and I was saying this to the, you know, the, the record company, Season of Miss, and to Michael, it's like, I don't even want, like, a hear, I don't even want to read a review until, like, six months have passed. Like, people need to sit with this, this work. It's not, that's right. It's not a quick thing. It's like, you got to spend some time with this, with this stuff. I've been, I've spent years with it. So it's, and I'm at that place. It's a very, like, and now I'm starting to get people, because we are at about the six month mark, because it came out at the end of November of 21 where i'm getting people saying i get it now mm-hmm. i get what's going on and i'm like oh thank you for taking the time because it's not it wasn't meant to be it's not a quick fix it's not that kind of record it's it takes it takes patience it's actually difficult it's a difficult record it's so layered it's so mm. packed Dude, at, uh, it might actually seem like a mess at first. It might seem like a fucking mess, but once you listen, it's like, oh no, everything's actually really specific and precise, and it's a very, it's like, it's I've never been so calculated in some ways, but it takes time to understand that, you know. And as a guitar player, it was like thinking about the song I'm going to do for the playthrough. I was like, do I do something that's more shreddy and kind of more challenging or do I show something that shows the the nature of a cynic song as a composition? So I went with more of the compositional approach where it's more just like showing all the textural framework of what creates this really simple song, but approaching it with a cynic style ripping, you know, and I think it'll be cool to kind of unravel that in a playthrough essentially like here's this part, here's this part and just show it as a composition and it's actually not that hard to play. It's probably the easiest song to play on the record, which I think is great because a lot of cynic songs aren't user friendly. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's it'll it'll be nice to have something that you can actually learn. You know, like, sure, exactly. you don't have to be like a little. You know, it's it's a little more like. And I, I've always wanted that. It's like I want to make it more palatable, and but that music always comes out inherently complex you know the neon spokes and the acoustic stuff is more palatable you know but um i really like that it it seems like maybe you can confirm or deny but it seems like as your songwriting has gone on but like as as senate came back and um and and traced an air and 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 everything subsequent there's there feels like to me like an underlying like 
mantra quality to like what your like how the lyrics uh unfold and and, and what gets repeated and, and and a lot of it like it feels you know and knowing your spiritual side knowing you know this element of you these days but i look back and i'm like wow it's it's it, it feels like a uh what i would say about this kendrick thing like I, oftentimes you're healing in public in 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 this kind of poetic way there's a healing taking place or you're holding space for healing through this mantra oh and- yeah they go hand in hand you know what i mean like they're not separate at this point right sure and you get to that point with your work where it's not this thing that you're it's not you're not putting on a show or a presentation you're literally just channeling information that's coming through you and at some point it, you're just and it all is connected to everything else that's you know what I mean? It's all like happening and it's a very transparent process that's at the same time very alien, you know, it's just so there's so many things at work, but yeah, I mean for sure, man. And Cynic has that. It's it's mantra like and it and I think for us the difference with us as a as a band that was always progressive was that we uh, the song always took precedence over technique or chops mm-hmm. it was never like sh- let me show you sh- how i shred it was always like what's the song here and and this is the this is way more important that the chops and the playing is just incidental to like this tune that you're trying to write and so the tune is like and i think that's what separated us from a lot of the other prog bands because so much progressive music became a showcase of of chops and technique and that was never our thing you know Mm -hmm. we were always in service of the song and that's always been how it's been approached compositionally it's like what does this song need where's the melody what's what's supporting things and and you and we would catch each other a lot of times even as band members it's like that's overplaying you're it's drawing too much attention mm. to yourself right there. Pull that back, you know, but sometimes it, it's a moment of, Hey, do your thing, you know, let's take this moment. So, but it's this dance of really, but you know, a lot of this, a lot of Prague became so, you know, just, and it's like, there's nothing there. It's just intellectual playing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, hyper-focused on, 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 technique. you know, 32nd notes. And yeah. This and that, yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious what what would be some what are some things that you've been listening to um, that are off the out of the prog map that are would help uh, break up and palate cleanse our friends out there listening. Wow, I mean, I I've been it's funny I've been like doing more just like interactive abstract app things mm-hmm. like there's an app called Endel that actually listens to your environment and like and and the pacing if you're walking or whatever and kind of creates sounds that interacts with your environment what what yeah and how, do you, how do you spell that that how was e-n-d-e-l e endel like e like end and then e-l oh got it E and um yeah and it's it's really just like ambient music i'm gonna make sure let me just look it up right now but yeah, Endel. But there's like, you know, I, you know, I like, it's funny, I, I think because I just came out of a record cycle and stuff. And 
my filling the well process has not been so much about listening again as much as it is just taking in new experiences, mm-hmm. going okay. out and being in the world and just living life fully, engaging, you know what I mean? Just going for it in every which way. So I'm kind of like, so it's, and I'm finding my way back into being a guitar player again in music because I really, you know, it's been a very interesting journey, man, you know? can imagine. Just like, even just meeting the music authentically again and, and, like, what am I doing this for? And who am I? And do I want to keep doing this? Am I done being a musician? Like, is this over? Like, oh, no, I'll never be done. Like, this is my, this is what I do. And it's like, oh, no, but who is that? And what do you, you know, and do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's, but when I pick up a guitar, it's like, it's a part of my body. It's so like, it feels so natural and so right to play. It mm-hmm. feels like, of course, I'm going to keep playing guitar. And I want to be a better guitar player and I want to keep expanding and you never get a hold of music. But also it's like, I don't know. I mean, again, these finite, it's like these boxes you put, we put ourselves in that I put myself in. It's I just want to keep stepping out, you know, just when the circle's drawn, just then the circle's gone. It's like, you're, it's like, once I've got that circle around me, I'm trying to find a way out of it, you know, and, and finishing a record. It's like, if you get in this box of the, thankfully I'm not out in the touring cycle. I'm looking at all my friends, fucking this oversaturated touring market. And I'm like, I want, I don't want anything to do with that. I just, as much as I want to participate in a reciprocal experience with this piece of music I made with the audience, I don't want to do it in this method that we've been doing forever, this model. I love live performance. There's something really special about seeing an artist perform the music. It really almost, like Bowie said, it's not alive. It's not real. The album isn't even fully, it doesn't, it's not, hasn't come to life yet until it's been performed and executed. So there is that part of me that feels like maybe this, maybe this work is more existing as like this, weird amorphous sculpture that doesn't ex- you know like i was like i i, I want to tour as like a hologram but not the the cheap hologram technology we have now like next level hologram do you know what i mean mm, like mm. a cynic hologram tour that's like some tech that we don't even know about yet like that yeah, 4d shit yeah some shit where yeah. it's like, you know like <laughs> That like you don't have to take the, the psilocybin that like the, no. show is, the show is the drug and there's you know? exactly and there's no <laughs> goggles or something and so but yeah like the, that traditional model man it just right now it doesn't feel creative to me and I think maybe if we were more of a a jazz type band where so much of it was you know improvisational and free and experimental in a live context but what happens with especially these types of tours is you get your set and you maybe mix up a tune here or there, but you're basically running through the motions. And the difference is little subtle things you're tweaking, like, oh, I could have played that solo better or this cool interaction with the audience. But for the most part, it's not a very creative space, at least for me. Mm. And I'd rather be hiding, making more music, <laughs> writing more <laughs> songs, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Making art. I wonder about for you, like I, I recently been working with uh, Matt Mitchell, uh, Pussifer, and, and that, 
that group, you know, with Maynard, James Keenan, Karina Round and stuff. Ooh. And I recently saw them kick off their tour in, in Vegas. And it reminded me the last time that I saw them that every every time I've seen them, they've only played performing arts centers. So mm. the venue is extra kind of sweet, right? Ooh. It's and it, the energy is like it's a performing. We're here, it's not it's not just a show. This yeah. is you're witnessing arts being performed, right? Nice. And, and I wonder about that, like maybe framework in some way for sitting. Oh, absolutely. The space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the, like my thinking all along with this record was to do um, science centers that have these domes, you know, like mm. where they do the laser light shows or just construct domes because you can pop up domes anywhere now that are temperature controlled and it's fully immersive. Like they're at all the festivals, right? Right. And there's a whole scene for that. And I was like, a dome experience that's immersive. It's all about the art and you get to have this like 4d experience of the art. That's kind of completely immersive, but you, and it's not like a bunch of music videos put to the songs. It's actually recomposed, re envisioned work from the story of this record as a concept in this environment that also is engaging. And maybe there's a live element to it as well. It's not just a video. Like there can be, you, you know, so it's like trying to kind of figure out how does this manifest? And, and for me, it was like, oh yeah, it's gotta be, it can't be traditional venues, you know? Like I, it, this won't work in a punk club or a fucking theater. Right. You know, it, it's not gonna work at the El Rey, you know? <laughs> like you gotta fucking put this in a space that's already gonna disorient the person so that they're, because that's part of the perception aspect. It's like you're absorbing it, the music in a different way. So, yeah, it's um, the thing is, these things cost a lot of money to do them properly. And, you know, uh, Maynard's got the bread to pull it off, you know, sure. and, and, and a much larger following in a sense that he can execute it and probably still succeed with, you know, like where he's not coming back like in the hole, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking of all these tours right now just with fuel prices and the oh, tour yeah. buses. And I'm like, how are they making any, how are they surviving? This is brutal, you know? Yeah. I mean, it can't, it's rough out there, man. The gas, and it's not just the US, it's Europe, man. It's everywhere. This is, this is a situation. So it's an impractical time to be touring too, but, but everyone's doing it, you know, and they're yeah. showing up and it's, it's definitely like the market's so oversaturated. You can just see it. I mean, I, most people I know are on the road right now, like in terms of my music brothers, you know, mm -hmm. probably for you as well. And yep. A lot, almost everybody. Almost everyone, man. It is, it is baffling to me. Uh, I mean, it's like for, I always pretty much always get premium gas and it's like seven dollars a gallon now you know oh, and like and i, I my little subaru cost over a hundred dollars yeah. to get 14 15 gallons of Dang. gas in my car it's a total trip man uh i don't know yeah. you know and i i i don't know if you if you're clear or or, or cued into what's going on in sri lanka but like yeah. that is like an extreme case like if you type in what's going on in sri lanka Okay. It's like hyperinflation, people waiting for 
all day long to get one gallon of gas no because shit. you're rationing oh. all the stuff up the you know it's wow. super expensive to get milk and bread and and the the basic rations and it's it's a really it's it's a potentially smaller microcosm of what could be oh yeah allowed to spread to well, the rest of like, the world right, the, the the you know the word the the in in a lot of the counterculture and and the scenes I'm in is the next one coming is the food shortage. Yep. Right? Yep. That's what I'm you talking about hearing. it in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. So it's I'm trying to get my battery thing. Oh fuck! There it is. Because I'm at fourteen percent right now. Oh, okay. Well, we we can also wrap it up a little bit here too. I got. Yeah. I've got I've got to move on with my day as well. Yeah. Um, what you yeah, doing I, today, man? Uh, you know, Kiesel work. Uh, I got all these beautiful guitars here that I um, I'm always doing other zooms with uh, awesome right. artists around the world, uh, helping them sort out builds um, because that's our our way of doing things. So, you know, oftentimes I'm either talking to Australia in the evening or, or uh, you know, uh, UK or Serbia, like in the morning and wow. just depending on who's up and who, who's on the roster uh, for, for getting a new build or has questions. And so you're dealing with primarily the custom build stuff, huh? Yeah. All the artists. So like, you know, um, yeah. uh, we, we just got uh, uh, John Jones from bring me the horizon and um, that's a big band. And so he's just a touring guy, but like they, they have a lot of guitars they use for all these different tunings. So it's kind of fun to like, you know, hang out and like, you just you get to know people when we do this type of thing yeah, and we talk about all the, the likes and dislikes and then i try to like give some feedback on like okay well you know these things do well for that and you know help try to shape something that that not only works cool but also looks cool for them you know both yeah. aesthetic and functionality super yeah fun. that's cool you know you know one of the things we're going to focus on by the way with this um shoot for this updated strandberg is the the pickup and that you were a big part of, uh, you know, that EMG. Yeah. And, and I, and I put that DMC controller, the mid range EQ thing. And, you know, a lot of people just see one pickup and they think it's cheaper. It's like, it's, it can't be, but when you have a mid range controller, it's actually acting as it's almost doing more than what a neck pickup could do in, in many ways. So I want, I was like telling Isaac, I was like, I really want to, take a moment to really showcase what you can do with this, with this thing and to show that how badass that, that, that pickup is and all the versatility, you know, it's like in that pickup and also with the mid range controller. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, and you know, so I'm psyched that I still, you know, have that in that guitar. Cause I know it was like your, that was part of your gig back then. Yeah. You know? The EMG 57 with the variable yeah. mid control is the Paul Masvidal like signature sound now. It is. I mean, it's all that clean shit and everything, man. It's like creating these neck sounds, but you can fine tune it and dial it. And it's so badass, you know, it's like, and that pickup became like a weird, like no, no one, it almost flew below the radar, right? It never got yeah. really recognized. And it's, you know, because all these buzz pickups started happening like Fishman and whatever, you know, sure. which are great. And there's so many great companies out there, but, but that one, I, I feel like it's really a special, super versatile, super clear and just balanced and does it all you know i'm with you on that 100 i'll always be biased because i was there when we created the thing and i was the one that spoke up and like 
this might be the best thing that we've ever done. That's so cool. And they're like, no, 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 we can't. We've already done all the best stuff. Like it couldn't possibly be as good as the things that we've yeah. already made. And I'm like, dude, I will. So I, I told everybody in the office, I remember that day I went down as like an upstairs, like jam spot. And I was like, couldn't believe my own ears. I was like, you, everybody has to go play this guitar, this prototype pickup, because it might be the sick. I played it against everything and it might be the sickest thing we've ever made. How cool. And, and they just could, they were like in disbelief for a while. And then like after the third and fourth guitarists come back down, they're like, Chris might be right. Like we're my, like, this might be the thing, you know? Yeah. And I mean, so, BMG had such a, has such a history. It can rest its shoulders on that. It can get comfortable with that. Right. And, and not have to say we're doing new things. Like we don't, they don't have anything to prove anymore, but, but it's still happening, you know? Yeah. And they have, they, and they, and I think that was the, that was kind of uh, breaking the dam because they had been able to kind of not do a lot, you know, and they, you know, but then they finally got the chance to do something for Hetfield and that, right. that, that, that opened the doors. And then it wasn't until like Richie Faulkner and Andy James had showed up and or it was really Richie from Judas Priest that was like, I love that headset, you know, it's cool, man, but can you make it a little less gainy and more like wow. a path, a path, a PAF, you would call it. Right. You know? And so, and, and, and Rob Turner was like, yeah, you know, like grab a, grab a headset and put switch out all the ceramic magnets for Alnico magnets. And it'll just mm -hmm. knock, knock the overall output way down. It'll still be powerful, but it'll knock it way down from where his is at. And it won't, and, and that'll probably work for Richie. And so, like, we put that into production. I said, well, make a couple extra of those. I was like, I want to try one of those, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where it happened. It's like we sent off something just custom for Richie because he wanted something for his Explorer or, or something for, for a V. And uh, I had an extra, and I played it. I'm like, we got to make this a thing. And then Andy James dropped by, and I was like, hey, put one, wow. of, these your, put one of these in your guitar when he, go, when he got home. And when he got home, he was like, this is the best thing. I'm like, How okay, cool. I'm not crazy. Yay. Wow, that's so cool, dude. Yeah, and then awesome artists like you end up with them and, and it shifts your way of doing things a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it takes like, you have to almost personalize because it is so subjective, the way that we use these pickups and in relation to our sound, our, our, the music we write, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's so, so that's why working with the artist is such a particular thing because it's like, the expression of the instrument is being channeled through the art form of the artist. So it's all like so particular the way that you can do you know what I mean. It's such a unique, I mean, this is what you do all day long. So you know this man. I'm, I'm a consultant. Uh, I'm a buddy, you know, hang out. Yeah. And yeah, I, I love to teach yoga and, and meditation yeah. and I'm doing a lot of that here. Um, Are you? I'm, Good, I'm thankful. Man. Yeah. There's, there's this cool five acre like gym here that I would never, I never thought I would teach at a gym, but like, it's a five acre like landscape of like five pools and all these little nooks and crannies of places you can work out um, all around this place. Um, and then, they've got the biggest dopest yoga room in all of the North yeah, Valley and it's really well uh, decorated and it's, you know, it's got big rope walls. It's not, not quite as big as, uh, as yoga, yoga center or the old right. Larchmont thing. Are you still, have you gotten yoga in down there at Larchmont at all? I haven't been back since they reopened. I mean, I'm doing my own practice, but yeah, that, that place is open yeah. again, which is nice because the, you know, I, they all closed. I mean, that yeah. whole, 
things. So, but that's like, it's kind of back to the center for yoga, which is the original yoga. And Joe's there again, teaching. That's what yoga. I was going to say. I, yeah. I miss Joe's classes on Sunday, especially the live drumming. Yeah. Classes. I got to hit that. I've been, I've been oh. in touch with Joe a little bit. I gotta, I gotta go hit his class, man. Please he, give him a hug for me. I will. As yeah. Soon as he, I can he's a brother, visit, man. I will. I love yeah. him. Man. And I'll let you know if I'm going to be up there, man. Cause I, I actually might be up sooner than later too, because I got to get to Sacramento. And but you're more—I'm only you? an hour and a half away from Sac, so oh, you are to Sac, you? Okay. I can even swoop down and pick you up. No problem. No shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got extra. My my extra room is the yoga room, so you can stay in the high vibe spot. Like, Dude. yeah. Oh, so, nice. um, yeah, and it's I'm, I live right downtown now, which is its own kind of vibe uh all this great eateries i i'm a block away from one vegan cafe right there and then wow. two blocks away yeah, from like, chico yeah cool yeah, and i've got dude. extra mountain bikes dude we'll we'll ride up into oh, the canyon man. and there's all these swimming holes dude you're not you're gonna be like what is oh, this no. I mean, it's amazing yeah. and it's considered norcal right is that what's that right is it considered norcal where you are like oh yeah yeah. yeah, I'm just an hour and a half north of Sacramento. I I consider anything Sacramento or you know San Francisco and above all Northern California, oh, right. I guess. But uh, yeah. some people think that the state ends at Sacramento. I know, know. And they don't really know, know about Shasta or you know Arcata or the Golden, Tri you know the, the the Emerald Triangle or any of that stuff. But yeah, yeah, Chico's wow. a treasure. It, really it is, is a treasure, man. It's I'm, I mean, I'm missing that too. I want to go spend some time. So we'll, we'll be in touch about all that for sure. Cool. Sounds great, Paul. Um, take man. care, brother. Yeah. Likewise, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Satnam. Namaste. Namaste. Adiom. Yeah. Adiom. <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you soon. We'll be in touch. Sounds good, Paul. Talk to you soon, brother. Take care. Players Pick Podcast, Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Players Pick Podcast is brought to you in part by our good friends at Dunlop Guitar Products, Diesel Custom Guitars, and our favorite new coffee company, Road Roaster Coffee. Use coupon code PLAYERSPICK for 20% off your first order at roadroastercoffee.com. Pretend.